an opera singer and a comedian walk into a bar. She's gotten a taste of a career in classical music. He's spent several decades in the entertainment industry. They get to talking about show business, which they each know from very different angles, and they find they actually have a lot in common. Welcome to this segment of the Artists on the Verge podcast called, well, an opera singer and a comedian walk into a bar. It features me, your host, opera singer turned experimental performer Emma Katrovis, talking to comedian and TV writer turned novelist Nicholas Anthony. We'll be having conversations from across the high-low art divide with the goal of being honest about what a life-centering art, high or low, actually looks like. We recorded these first episodes in Prague, Czech Republic in July 2023, and we'll be releasing them in chronological order. In this episode, Nick and I attempt to finish reading the chapter on the film industry from William Derezievitz's Death of the Artist. We also talk a lot about some real-life stories from trying to make it in the film and TV industry, and quite a bit about YouTube and the small YouTube creator strategy, including a detour on the canceling of YouTuber Lindsay Ellis. We also talk about technology and mind control, among other things. So order your drinks and enjoy. So we got through exactly two pages of Derezievitz's chapter on film and television in his book, um, either, the artist. either because it is so compelling or we just don't know when to shut up. I think it's a combination of the two. <laughs> um, we did go on some tangents. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're tangible. Yeah. Tan- tangentable. T- tangential. Tan- tangential. Is that? Is yeah. That? I learn something every day. <laughs> Um, we, the, the last fact that I, that we kind of got stuck on was this, this metric that between 2009 and 2019, so within the span of 10 years, uh, the number of scripted shows more than doubled. Mm -hmm. And you pointed out that it's actually a a little bit misleading because the scripted shows have uh, fewer episodes in general. Correct. Um, I also do wonder, and I've never seen any compelling, like actual metrics on this, but number of people exiting uh universities with degrees in screenwriting. Oh, it's way higher. Plus number of jobs. Like, way, yeah. way, way higher. It's a whole cottage industry. Yeah. Not only, it's not just the responsibility of the uh, universities. Mm-hmm. There's an entire screenwriting. Extra. I'm using air yeah. quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole. Outside of universities. Oh, it's like, yeah. borderline criminal. Yeah, no. I mean, this it's, is, that's the pyramid it, scheme, and it's that also I just think is... it's also um, yeah. Well, it's a pyramid pyramid scheme ultimately because it's not teaching people to actually write for television. It's teaching mm-hmm. them how to potentially either like go do something else, or they then become the people who Teach sell <laughs> the classes. And that's the definition of a pyramid scheme, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, that. That's really heartbreaking because it's kind of, I mean, it's a very fair comparison to just creative writing in general, like poetry and or writing prose even too has this where they're creating so many. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, my dad calls it the cottage industry and he's very defensive of it because he's a creative writing professor. We are currently finishing up the Prague Summer Writers Program, which is where we met a year ago. I'm the coordinator. And I often think about like, the, our role in this in this quote unquote cottage industry yeah. of teaching creative writing, which I just well, I the, mean, there needs to yeah, I mean, there doesn't need to be a sober conversation yeah. about like what you're actually going to do with this writing because, look, last I year mean, as just a I was a, a you know I was a customer if mm-hmm. you will, and I had this amazing experience. Yeah. so it's like it's, taking a yoga retreat. Or something. Yeah, it really is at that yeah. point. Um, that being said, can there be, does maybe potentially giving it some, um, you know, being honest, I I don't know. Yeah. Do you you not want to be told that the magic tricks are fake? Like, do Mm -hmm. you want the suspension of like, you mean, do you want a bunch of people educated in the craft of writing, judging writing? Like, no, I'm saying like to the person who's coming, 
is in the back of your head. Everyone thinks they're going to, you know, publish and be, yeah. this is what they're going to do. And, yeah. and is part of it that you have to allow for that illusion? That's yeah. That's a good question. Like, is yeah. that healthy? Would they be doing it? In other yeah. words, because when you go to a yoga retreat, the idea is it's, it's you're end, doing it for, yeah, for it's itself. It's an end in and of itself. Yeah. The same with meditation retreats, any kind of self-improvement. And that's not how these it's, creative... It's a kind of a... Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of mad, really. Yeah. <laughs> to think I'm going to go do this thing and then I'm going to get so good at it. People are going to want to see me do yeah. yoga. <laughs> you know, like that's how crazy that would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's right. You know, we yeah. have, a, especially in America, there's such a tradition of yeah. that being very romantic this idea mm -hmm. of writing something that then captures your zeitgeist yeah. or you but then also creative writing professors my whole life i was kind of hearing them kind of you know make fun of people who are doing it just for the right the sake of writing i remember this one pro pro creative writing professor said um the nice thing when when one of his students said well i'm i'm only writing this for myself he said well the the nice thing about masturbation is you don't have to look good doing it that's what he told her. I don't know if he said that to her specifically, yeah. but he, then he said yeah. it later. So that's the attitude. Well, that, the idea, I mean, look, if you well really want to study writing, yeah. you should be conscious of where, because the, the audience determines how you write. If you're writing mm -hmm. a technical document or if you're writing for a magazine yeah. or if you're writing a novel, all of that stuff determines. Yeah. And then what the market is even in the mood for. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that you should be, I think first and foremost, it has to go through your process, but the reality it would be like doing stand up by yourself in your room versus mm -hmm. being in front of a, a crowd and then which crowd yeah crowds in the midwest are going to be different than crowds in the south mm -hmm. or, or in new york and la yeah. and international crowds are different and yeah. um and then there's the whole issue with writing for the workshop because it's basically what you're being taught is kind of to write for a very specific kind of group of people which yeah. is to say other aspiring writers yep. and creative writing professors and what they think is good, which which is pretty, I think, in line kind of what publishers also think is good in the small indie presses because they kind of come from the same environment. They're trying. I but think everyone in these writers rooms is attempting to creative writing rooms. You mean. Correct. Yeah. Is attempting to give the advice of what they think an agent or a publisher would say. Yeah. Whether they're right or not is to be determined, but right. um, that's kind of the implication. Right. But anyway, back to TV uh, or film and television. Um, let me see how far we can get through <laughs> some of this. Um, so this is like, yeah, I don't know. This is literally we got through uh, four Turn paragraphs. the page. Let's go to the next More page. More shows. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, okay, I'm going to read until the next page. All right. More shows mean that executives are forced to take a lot of chances, if only to fill up their programming slots. They, uh, they also mean that the audience for any given show no longer needs to be particularly large. The Beverly Hillbillies, the year of Cronkite's debut, had a rating of 36, which means that 36% of households with television sets were tuned in. The Big Bang Theory, the most popular series of the 2018-2019 season, clocked in at all of 10.6. So it's like a third. Um, television has become like every other art, one whose range reflects the true breadth of society's tastes. Room exists now for the offbeat, the subtle, the tragic, the strange. Girls seldom cracked a million viewers. It's kind of almost an outdated reference at this point. Yeah. Its highest rated episode came in at 0 0.6, which didn't prevent it from running for six seasons. With more than 60 networks and streaming services, the television business is in the midst of what the New York Times has called a fierce arms race for content, and therefore for talent. If you're a creative person in the industry, Ron Howard has remarked, it's the greatest time ever. Because if you have a story that you care about, you can find the platform, you can find the place to make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know... I there's still a glut of anybody can, I mean, the screenwriting competitions yeah. would say that, you know, if you look at um, the nickels, for instance, like the mm. number of submissions has shot up through yeah. the roof. So that means that there's just way more people because potentially of what this book is trying to kind mm. of reveal is that the advent of computers and it's so much easier to write a screenplay yeah. now. And there's so much more teaching about screenwriting that there's just way, 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 way more competition than when yeah. Ron Howard started. So yeah. I, I, as much as I do love uh, Arrested Development and mm -hmm. all of most of Ron Howard's projects, mm -hmm. I, 
I don't think he knows what it's like to be coming up right now. And uh, yeah, um, I don't I don't think it's necessarily like indicative of the experience of especially somebody that doesn't have connections. Yeah. Maybe it's just that it's changing so fast. Yeah. That we've just hit that point where the number of people coming in and the actual. Oh, it's it's insanely different. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because this, you know, he may have been interviewing people. Derezievitz may have been interviewing people, what, like five years ago for this? So well, it already, pre-pandemic, everything, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it may have already kind of changed. Well, okay. yeah, I, I still think it was difficult, you know, the 90s even versus the, the aughts oh, would yeah. have been way different in terms of yeah. when when uh, when Apple had the the editing suite and mm-hmm. and you could make you know for a cheap amount of money now you had editing software and mm-hmm. you know everyone oh you can just make your own movie and it's like it's it, it i don't know if you go and read um the duplass's the duplass brothers put out a book mm-hmm. and it's fr- it's what's, in, what's it called it's called um oh it's called uh like brothers mm-hmm so yeah, and they write this book and they, you know, explain like if, I mean, so they got Sundance mm-hmm. with this silly video and then they made another one mm-hmm. and then because they had developed these relationships, they were able to get, and then once that got in, mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, it, it, it they're just showing the mechanism by which, well, they, the, the advice is just when, you know, <laughs> go to Sundance two years in a row and uh-huh. have this, you know, and it's like, you know, I can't even imagine. I mean, I because I we tried to get in through the Sundance Labs and made it to like the final round once. Mm. We had to fill out all these insane yeah. uh, and you're had to write essays. competing with like hundreds of people. We were competing with everything from two minute videos to uh, fill, you know everything, all different mm-hmm. lengths, and to just try to get in to be in the the unique voices or. Um, and the only reason and that which project was that? That was the my girlfriend's the adult. my girlfriend's adult project. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. There's just more. And again, I can admit, you know, somebody listening to this could be like, well, you're just not, I guess you just weren't talented enough. And it's like, when you're, when you're choosing between hundreds and yeah, hundreds go of people, rewatch and nothing against the Duplass brothers. I find them mm-hmm. eminently awesome. I just think mm-hmm. they're a net gain for the world. I, uh, wild, wild country is an amazing docu, uh, series. I just, I'm a huge fan of the Duplass mm-hmm. brothers. But the question isn't whether or not they are good or not. It's it's more of, you know, people listening to this going like, well, what, what is a path? Mm-hmm. And yes, should you be submitting to Sundance? Probably, maybe not. I mean, it depends on how much money you mm-hmm. have because they're expensive mm-hmm. to submit to all this stuff. Um, and this, by the way, is totally also applicable um, to all these other uh, fields. Yeah. There's every one of them has some kind of prestigious study program or competition or festival well, and that you, you know, the reality is, to. is that you have to pay to play. Yeah. And I guarantee there, if you were to go in and look at those numbers, mm-hmm. you know, if, even if it's just 50 bucks or whatever, um, if someone were to come in, let's say there's, I don't know what, let's just call it 10,000 times, 10,000 times 50 is 500 thousand dollars wow so they could make a half a million dollars just on submissions yeah now you still have to pay somebody to look through all that stuff and you're not you're not spending five hundred thousand dollars on the submission process yeah yeah i don't know it 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 would be frustrating to see how how much profit they're making just off of that but and this is the model yeah in so many different uh industries mm-hmm all right, next uh, next section. In film, the mood is rather different. He is making a distinction between film and television, and television includes all the online stuff. Um, in film, the mood is rather different, more like what it is in music, just with spandex. <laughs> From the mid-1980s through the mid-2000s, the VHS and DVD had played the role for Hollywood that the LP and CD had had for the record labels, furnishing the industry with large and reliable sources of income. That era was also, not coincidentally, a golden age for the medium. Working especially through many major studios like Merrimack, Miramax, which specialized in smart, mid-budget pictures, 
The industry nurtured the work of a new generation of indie directors. Spike Lee, the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino, Lisa Holodenko, and many, many others. Artists who made films that seized the center of the culture. Then came broadband. Streaming, piracy, eventually Netflix. Instead of going to the theater or buying DVDs, people rented on demand, paid a single monthly fee, or stole. Or, because of HBO and company, they just watched television. In the era of the DVD, profit margins in the movie business, as the veteran producer Linda Obst reports in Sleepless in Hollywood, hovered around 10%. By 2012, they had fallen to the neighborhood of 6%. That's a lot of missing money, but the problem isn't just the lack of money, it is also the uncertainty. Movies cost a lot to make and market. In order for a project to get budgeted correctly, and therefore approved in the first place, quote, greenlit in the terms we've all become familiar with, its producers, Obst explains, need a for to formulate a PNL, a statement of anticipated profit and loss. Doing so involves projecting the picture's likely earnings across a range of revenue streams, domestic and international box office, DVD, TV, pay cable, internet, airplane devices, VOD, handheld devices, etc. But DVDs, she continues, quote, used to be half of the entire PNL. Now, now the money isn't so much gone, though a lot of it is, as impossible to predict. The other major revenue source, the second pillar of the old PNL, was North American box office. There, the situation is the same. Less money now, who knows how much money in the future? If you're a studio or a network or a production company, Ron Howard has said, and you're trying to figure out what a movie should cost, it's a mind bender. And how many movies should you make and where they should play? All of that's driving them crazy. When I spoke with David Hinoyosa, a producer at Killer Films, a leading independent production company, he told me that Killer no longer even had a budget line for DVDs and that it puts down zeros on its P&Ls for North American box office. Wow. Well, but I guess... I don't. But that it's, that's almost being written as if it's like you were owed this thing. Like DVDs wasn't a thing in the 70s. And some of the best films to ever get made were made then. But that was also a time when you just had to go to the movies to see movies. Correct. So but that was My easier. point though is that life is change. And yeah. things are going to change. And like who, you know, things change. You have to adapt. You have like. Well, I think what he's just trying to do is just to explain the exact mechanics of how it has changed. And what happens, I think, is that you have these periods when... But does, I guess as somebody who's been around film, I mm -hmm. listen to this and I'm like, it doesn't... Nothing he's saying here is like... I mean, is this... Do you think news. this is... Yeah. Do you think this is... Are people listening to this going like, oh, yeah, it's excellent. I did not know this. I think that it just needed to be said because it is something that these execs are thinking of and it, it yeah. changes how movies are made because movies I mean, are still it, being made. It is accurate. It just seems like I've, I've it's been said a lot. Yeah. And the, yeah, it has what, been. what's more interesting to me is, I mean, I remember when YouTube started and people were like, we have no idea how they're going to make money off mm -hmm. of this. And then, of course, they just put they commercials on the beginning of mm -hmm. it. And it wasn't that difficult. Um, and maybe there was a gap there where people could mm -hmm. sneak in and, you know, um, when it was a little bit Wild Westy. But I guess the question is, I, I'm less interested in what was and mm -hmm. I'm more interested in what is going to be mm -hmm. and how... Like I, do, I still want to see small voices yeah. in the mainstream. I, I, yeah. th I think it's when I was, um, there's a great documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now mm -hmm. uh, um, that Coppola's wife does. I believe mm -hmm. she, she's directing it and it's called in the heart of darkness or into the heart of dark it's okay. a play on the conrad mm -hmm. uh apocalypse yeah, it's, now it's is based, based off of conrad's heart of darkness yeah but um in this documentary that uh, coppola's wife uh was doing about apocalypse now mm -hmm. there's an interview in in which francis for coppola says there's a there's a, i think he I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of there's a there's a woman in Ohio right now. There's a teenage girl in Ohio who eventually will be able to write, shoot, do all the voiceover. Do mm -hmm. they'll be able to create a movie completely by themselves? That that's what he was kind of pro, uh, you know projecting, if you will. Mm -hmm. And 
it's interesting to think that, I mean, obviously he predicted correctly, but if that person who then makes this film has no access to its distribution, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or if a small voice, and I'm not talking, like, I still think obviously there are people who are completely unknown who are making it in YouTube. But when I look mm-hmm. at the quality, I don't see a ton of, I, I see people who are more business than show, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, I don't look at, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but show uh-huh. me. I mean, there are a few. I, I think like um, uh, who's doing it really well. Like you, you try to think about it. it. It doesn't feel like high art, though, even if it's done well, like Coffeezilla or something like yeah. that, where it's like, oh, that's really well done investigative yeah. journalism. Uh, or the gentleman who we listened to who loved rockets and they're going to put him on Elon's um I don't remember listening. Lex Friedman interviewed him and he was a oh. guy who was obsessed with rockets and he just has, I forget his name right now, but you yeah. can, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, the, it, it, you know, he started putting out like hour long, mm. you know, deep, he did deep dives on like, here's the Russian space uh-huh. program and here's ours and all that. And eventually he ended up um, getting asked to be one of the members on yeah. one of Elon's rockets. Remember mm-hmm. there was that Czech artist that was also... Oh, that the same. It's he's, he's going to be in on the, the same thing. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah, that yeah, Chuck, yeah. the Chuck so, dancer who's going to be. Yeah, there. there's some interesting stuff coming out of that, but I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm still holding it to this idea that like you can be small and it'll affect the mainstream, and maybe that's just maybe we have to all I rethink. I mean, there is like a, a there is this phenomenon of small creators online who usually get funded through Patreon. Mm-hmm. Even within that realm of small creators, there's like just a huge like winners and losers thing because yeah. when th- th- something happens in people's brains when they see that something has, you know, a couple ten thousand or more views, basically, or just a, that suddenly it's legitimized, yeah. and so it's sort of one, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Yeah. However, it's like that kind of natural process of people just finding um, interesting YouTubers yeah. online has created some really interesting stuff has 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 helped but, make however what it doesn't do so well is f- fiction so most of this is kind of like video essays i mean the video essay really comes out of youtube mm-hmm. and some of them are incredibly interesting i think of contrapoints who creates these really lush beautiful essays where mm-hmm. i mean she's at the center of it and she creates these beautiful sets around herself and these beautiful costumes but it's basically a talking head still she's still just like talking about yeah. stuff and it has to be a subject i mean it, it has to be nonfiction. it has to be basically an essay form where uh-huh. you're talking about something it's like a think piece but in video format yeah. there's also philosophy tube what's weird is that the natural process the natural selection process on youtube doesn't favor what we would think of certainly doesn't favor what we would think of as film what we would think of as fiction the only stuff that is fiction that that gets favored is stuff that's funny mm. and often that's not even about production value at that point it just yeah. has to be funny so skits well one of the things i mean I, I guess the the question becomes do we need to change the entire idea of mm. small than becoming the mainstream because it goes from somebody who's creating something that's very small Mm -hmm. and has a small like they have let's say ten thousand even patreon followers Mm -hmm. or whatever but is that kind of it has its little world i mean you're mentioning a lot of names i've never even heard of and the thing is they're famous they they live as famous people within their which is so funny totally wherever they go they have yeah And, yeah and is that the new we just have to come to grips with the fact that like that's the new standard yeah but even because Even I that. guess I'm what I'm interested more is, you know, the like somebody going from, you know, doing what, uh, you know, going to Sundance and doing what Tarantino did where he created something small and then it mm-hmm. becomes essentially ma- mainstream culture. But yeah. because everything's so fractured, yeah. do we just have to maybe change what we think is success yeah. at this point? I would say so. And I would say that these channels that I'm mentioning, and that just happens to be my bubble. There's so many others that are, you know, but, uh, you know, Lindsay Ellis, ContraPoints, uh, Philosophy Tube. Um, Lindsay Ellis is the early, started the earliest. She really got in, got in on the ground floor. 
um, they are, I would say, what you would consider a successful media personality within the 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 YouTube free market, and they're tiny compared to what would have been considered success, you know, before. Yeah. Um, but they make all of their money from their creations, yeah. and in fact, someone like ContraPoints, she and and by the way, all of them, the way they made money was from Patreon. Yeah, that's what's so interesting. It wasn't from YouTube. It wasn't from YouTube ads. It was from people just giving them like a couple dollars a month and then having like special yeah. access to them, basically. So you create this community around it. What's interesting is that all of them, I would say, Contra, um, Abigail Thorne has not dealt with this as much yet. Who knows? But both ContraPoints and Lindsay Ellis were, I think, damaged by canceling by mm -hmm. this sort of this sort of this because there's like no membrane between them and their audience because mm -hmm. it's so direct they're kind of at the mercy mm -hmm. of it um and contraprints has like a whole video essay about this yeah and but she survived but she only makes like she only makes like one video every six months or something Interesting. and then she makes like appearances and stuff um lindsay ellis has quit youtube altogether yeah um very dramatically and kind of sadly and she just the talks woman who about, did the hobbit yeah video because huh. of some tweets wow now this is the most liberal politically correct open-minded <laughs> person you could ever think what of. was there she used to be she, she was attacked by she was kind of at that time when youtube and the internet as such was very much a man's game yeah and so she was often attacked by these kind of uh, even like like straight up like white supremacists which like is funny like the incel funny. type of yeah, yeah. like the, yeah i mean like the gamer yep, like yep. that weird mm -hmm. trifecta gamer uh, white supremacist uh, slash and no one came to incel. her well at that she said that that was well it was pretty bad because yeah. she would just get yeah she would get attacked online and this so kind what, of thing. what's the thing but she's then, so successful that people just go into her comments and is it just comments or what it's comments but then what happened and i, I the, the the thing with the the guys that the right from the, the attacks let's say from the misogynists and from the right yeah. is one thing another thing what what brought her down was attacks from the left okay because she made some comment because it was from her own yeah and that's the problem is that it's one thing to get attacked from the outside by yeah. people that you know fundamentally disagree with your values yeah it's another thing to get attacked from the inside by like your own um and that's what happened to her and it was because she wrote a tweet she was comparing two different cartoons which happened to be based on Asian culture, had Asian characters and this kind of thing. And she was comparing them not because they were both, I think it was Last Airbender, and then there was some Disney, wasn't there like a Disney movie that came out, which was like had dragons These are films, in it? Though. And films, yeah. yeah. She was comparing them because they were like, because they, that's they, what she does. Yeah, she does. She does <laughs> she, film. She's a move comparison. Yeah, and movie it was comparison. just in a tweet. Yeah. And then people started attacking her, saying, "How dare you make a comparison between these two? Just because they're set in Asia, basically." And then she came back and she says, "I could see if you squinted, um, you could see some that I was making that comparison because they're Asian." <laughs> I personally, when I hear. Why are you laughing? <laughs> because I'm assuming they then take, took oh, the word squinted all, out all of context. Hell, yeah. All hell broke loose. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I mean, it does feel like the type of thing that if a comedian was trying to troll someone, uh -huh. they would use that as a very yeah. clever way she to troll somebody. Yeah. She definitely wasn't. She's not the type. Yeah. Um, it, she definitely wasn't. She did make, I think even before that happened, she made this long video essay called Mask Off, which was like a big response to all of her critics. I'm not a PR um, expert by any means. But it's not a good idea to do it that. It does feel yeah. like going through this process is yeah. probably what they're going to teach people in colleges uh -huh. in the future. <laughs> of like, hey, here's some things to avoid. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to become much better at that. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'm sure that it's just going to become like boring to do that eventually. Like, I just feel like it's just so boring. I, the question becomes for me is one, why don't you delete the tweet? Immediately stop engaging in it. Yeah. And then just move on. Yeah. And that's what? the thing. Like, she... Lindsay Ellis talks about how her therapist doesn't understand why it's such a problem for her to be canceled like this. Or well, the, but, the treatment. But I'm just saying, is it affecting her Patreon? That's, well, yes, also. Okay. Like, she had she had people leave her Patreon. It All does right. affect her bottom line. It does affect yeah. these things. That, then that is, you know, like, live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah. She, you know, wanted yeah. this 
Well, she didn't want it. I think she, she was one of those people where just she came in on the ground floor because it was fun and then she yeah. just had it just kept going and she became, you know, she she had she built a platform. Well, I mean, what were we talking about with the you know, recently no, with That's it. Sorry, I just want to say yeah. to finish Lindsay Ellis's story, she dramatically left uh Twitter. I think she's back on there now and she's not on YouTube, but she is on Nebula, which is I think I mentioned this at some point during our conversations. It's this it's it's a platform where you pay a subscription to be able to have access and it's owned collectively by all these creators. Gotcha. But um, she still has content on YouTube. It's just running on fumes. It's up there. She, you can watch whatever she put up, but yeah. she doesn't put, engage with it or put anything new up. Well, but um, she's still trading off of videos that have millions and millions of yeah, views. Yeah, I don't know how much. I mean, on YouTube, like you have to get such insane views and watch times to make any money that I doubt she makes that yeah. much money. But I don't know how that works. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she has like, you know, usually when you have one of these platforms, it does beget real world stuff. For example, she published a novel, a uh, second novel, sequel to the novel. I think it's going to be a trilogy. Um, she... I'm sure she also sometimes gets money for talks because eventually these people become kind of, you know, experts in something. I don't know. Yeah. And then you, you do talks. And, I guess and that the, is a model that's very new and very unique and very, or, or it's yeah. very new and very much tied to YouTube specifically into the online world. If, if, if Derezovitz, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm -hmm. is talking about death of the artist and they're talking about this woman, mm -hmm. the, the, the platform was the she got she was a product of this platform. Yeah. It's not like she was like the medium is the message. It affected what kind of content she was yeah, making as well. But it's it's also, hard to think of her also as an artist. Correct. She's more of a commentator. Well, she would I'm sure she would I mean she's a novelist. That's yeah, she's art, a novelist, you know, like, but she's doing that off of YouTube. But like um Michael Moore or something took the time to actually get films made and then went through more traditional maybe that's where she could because that's what I mean. Her content was very. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. She had a, you know, and if, like I said, if she could have potentially got, um, you know, an executive to talk about the other side of what yeah. was going on for the Hobbit films, all of a sudden now you do have a good documentary. Yeah. Not to say that it wasn't. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I just I think that she would probably have to just you know get creative about how she's going to be creative. Well, she did. She yeah. definitely did, and she and she's uh, she's more private now. But I think that she still has enough yeah. income and enough yeah. of a platform to to exist. Yeah, and I have respect for anybody who pivots and you know figures it out for themselves because yeah. I'm sure that doesn't feel good when all of a yeah. sudden what you think is you know your livelihood is now it seems to be attacking you. Yeah, that has to be a very strange feeling. So um, the final thing I wanted to just to say about um, this YouTube phenomenon is that I just read this essay by an anthropologist on my podcast about like she's an art anthropologist. Basically, she, she does the anthropology of art. And she said something during an interview about how um, small scale societies, um, societies which are more egalitarian, tend to run on gossip. So the power runs through basically your reputation among people. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be misused, right? And what we're seeing happening online is basically be because there is there is little moderation because yeah. it is, you know, it's just like at scale. Um, everything is about your reputation and people can ruin your reputation, you know, just by saying something basically. Well, I mean, on some level, it's a way of kind of, I mean, it's a way of, I mean, let's boil it all down to like, it's at some point it's like DNA, right? Like they want the strong ideas to survive the, the, mm -hmm. that, that I think on a, like a, uh, like in terms of this being something that is like evolutionary, mm -hmm. this, it, it is, it's the part of our DNA where it's like mm -hmm. the, the strong, the fittest ideas are the things that make it to the top. Okay. In theory, I guess, yeah. is what's happening on like a, if I were to think about it from like an anthropological level, is that yeah, but... these ideas are like, people are attacking it because they want the strongest ideas. Yeah. But what in happens theory, Not that is... that's fair or yeah. that it happens evenly throughout and then at the top are just like the best ideas. But that's what I think our DNA is trying to potentially um, do. Yeah. Our social... Yeah. DNA. Yeah. Like the collective ideas that like, nope, we, we don't let that person get in here. 
But the people they attack, it's just ridiculous, you know. Correct. Like and and, and look, like, we don't know how the algorithms are also changing that because if they're, you know, promoting something. Well, that's the thing that's happening. Actually, we do know that that yeah. it's hap that basically it tends towards the extreme because what gets the most attention is yeah. not the balanced perspective, which actually, when you actually talk to real people in the real world, is what most people have. Correct. Most people do not have an extreme perspective. That's why the yeah. perspective is extreme. Yeah. But but we can't look away from the extreme perspectives. Yeah. It's so you have this. Um, you, what you have is the survival of like the loudest and the weirdest. But what could potentially need to be a very mature decision by these tech giants mm -hmm. is to come in and say like, well, what this is supposed to be is, you know, survival of the fittest. We want the best ideas to make but its way to the top the best because it's truly what's better for the society. Yeah. But you know, the, if, if the way, the only way that they're able to promote the quote best ideas is how much attention does it get? How many retweets, how many, you know, well, but and that is not a good measure. We yeah, see what that does. That's the thing is you have to figure out different ways to create, uh, to, to value. Yeah. To just yeah. give and something it's maybe more sophisticated AI can start looking through, yeah. you know, but that's a whole other set of but issues. That's what we're, comes up. I mean, think about 10 years ago and now 10 years from now, Yeah, like 10 years ago, it, there was no chat algorithm. GPT. There was yeah. no, and I mean, there was, was no chat GPT. That's just, you know, yeah. something that could actually read stuff online and understand it in a slightly more sophisticated way. Well, and it's way. more complicated than, you know, if it's coming through my, let's say, uh, any feed and you just say, I don't want to see this. Well, it's not necessarily that I don't want to see it ever. You know, it's like maybe I, it, it's mm. more complicated than like, well, if I don't want to see this, well, then you also don't want to see anything like that. It's like, no, you want to be challenged in a certain way. And yeah. I want to be, and right now, even on Instagram, I feel like it does a pretty good job of it. I mean, at this point now, to, to what extent is it actually just straight up manipulating me? Because mm -hmm. I have noticed since we've been around your dog more, <laughs> I get more dog videos, yeah. which is, I don't know, <laughs> I think Orwell's nightmare. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I like these dog videos. <laughs> like it's yeah. the, in, in this some space, of it, some of it's harmless. Yeah. You know? In this space, it's actually quite awesome. But like yeah. right now, if we just talk about fruity pebbles and breakfast mm -hmm. cereal and Kellogg's. And if I just say that mm -hmm. over and over and over, my phone is sitting right next to me. I guarantee later this afternoon, yeah. there's going to be like some yeah. ad on my Instagram for Kellogg's yeah. or breakfast cereal. Right. Or and it's bevels. only going to get more sophisticated because I think now it's just listening to words and, totally. keep, and, and the number of times you say it. That doesn't necessarily correspond to how interested you are in breakfast cereal. Correct. And the other question is that means each of us has a file somewhere. Yeah. Uh, do we have access? Should we, do we have no. the rights to be able to know what that file? No. Like that that's was... what's fucking. That's why. Because yeah. if anything, it would be kind of nice to like. Maybe you wouldn't want to know. Maybe there are people who have seen files and they're like, dude, you don't want to really yeah. know what you're like. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's. That's actually that could be a, a, an interesting story. There's actually well, there's actually a documentary um, about the. It was the documentary about oh god, what's the name of that company that supposedly like swung the 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 2016 election. Oh. Cambridge Analytica. Yes, Cambridge Analytica. So there was a documentary about Cambridge Analytica made by a guy who framed it basically saying, I'm trying to get access to my data, to yeah. my file, and how difficult it was for him to actually do that. Yeah. Um, but it was much more than that. It was also like yeah. investigative journalism around. And then he finds this woman who worked for them but left mm -hmm. them and this kind of thing. It's kind of fizzled out, the the whole that whole subject, the, the idea that they would have swung elections. I remember there was like an... Well, why would they continue to let that be a mainstream idea? Exactly. Well, that's... I mean, but you get... You, I don't want to have conspiratorial well, thinking, not, you know? It, it, what, what, um, they yeah. did get dissolved. I don't think they exist anymore. But the people who Well, but those people it, are still exactly. in other companies and... And, and this... And apparently... It do, I mean, at least in that documentary, they said it does work. We can influence elections through influencing media. I saw that media. same documentary, and yeah. it is very compelling. compelling. Whether it's true or not, yeah. I don't know, but they do make a compelling argument. I mean, the thing that, that sucks is you just don't want to be the person who's like, you don't, you don't want to be the pregnant woman in 1940 who's smoking the cigarette going like, oh, this is this fine. Is fine. Yeah. Like, and we are just test subjects, this mm -hmm. entire generation on how this whole internet yeah. smartphone thing is, yeah. is affecting our, our con. Yeah. We legitimately might look back and be like, that's insane to yeah. have had six hours of screen time a day. Like yeah. they just know like that is so bad for your mental health. Mm -hmm. And 
in a hundred years from now, maybe there's just straight up blocks. Like you only get a certain amount or people just yeah. self-regulate and they or realize they like, no, this is terrible I mean, I even see my, my littlest sister who's a Gen Z, she's 18 now. She has refused to get a smartphone. She has, and it's like, but what's so annoying about it is that <laughs> they make it difficult, it's but it's like, difficult. it's literally difficult. Can't get to your bank. Can't, no, yeah, nothing. it's yeah, difficult it's for like, she'll, in. she'll text me like, Hey, can you tell me how to get to this place? I can't look it up. <laughs> Seriously, she expects me to yeah. like give her directions. Yeah, yeah. She um, wants you to give her a MapQuest printout. <laughs> yeah, something like, but verbally, yeah, exactly. which Be she then reads on her little uh, flip phone. Well, that's, yeah, I don't, being but, a Luddite like that, I don't know if that's the solution. Yeah, but, but I mean, there are, you can put limits on your, on your use or you can have that. Yes. I know that it's kind of automatic that they send you your, your analytics, how, how much time you're spending. Yeah, your, do you I, have that. Yeah, I do. I get those, and yeah. I even get Instagram now. I'm I'm assuming everyone has mm -hmm. this where it all says you you you've gone to the end of the feed. Yeah, you you've you've, <laughs> you've done. You're done with all I never the things get that. To that point. Yeah. Well, I only I, my whole thing is I only follow a hundred people. Okay, cool. If anything more than that, I like I don't need to know. Yeah. You know, so. I don't find social media addictive in particular. Uh, I I just don't. Yeah. I don't find like I'm I'm not I don't find it interesting. I'm very bored. I, I mean, it. I gotta be honest, my feed is curated in a way where it's actually giving me a bunch of stuff that That's I really like. Yeah. Yeah. So although some of it is the dog videos that I mm. don't sign up for, but, but it you is like you like them. <laughs> well, it's fun. They're fun. But what I do like is, you know, the New Yorker cartoons mm. and the I love the James Webb telescope and seeing mm -hmm. all the new images, you know, and it gives me a lot. Yeah. It's curated in a way where it's like, it's a collection of some of them and then rare artists mm -hmm. I'll follow. And when they put up new artwork yeah. or, um, I'm trying to think of like a celebrity that I actually follow. Like, uh, um, I can never say his name. Neil, is it Tyson Degrassi? Neil Degrasse, Degrasse? Degrasse Tyson? Neil Degrasse Tyson. There you go. It's, but I don't know if it's DeGrasse or DeGrasse or whatever. Neil DeGrasse yeah. type. Anyways, that dude uh, who I find fascinating and entertaining. And mm -hmm. um, so it's like, it's not, I don't know. It's, are they also sneaking in a bunch of ads for a bunch of stuff that I potentially don't need? Yeah. Do I get ads all the time for credit card? Yeah, yeah, all that stuff's there too. But right now it's okay. It's not, it, do, it doesn't feel yeah. like it's changing who I am. Yeah. Now I'm also, but I mean, the, the, the critique isn't that it, that every single individual is changed by it and controlled by it. It's just that it can kind of subtly look, push things I, in a certain direction. There's been a couple times in my life where I thought, man, I am just, there's two things that happened. One, I had this idea where I was going to start wearing bomber jackets uh -huh. and like, 20 let's call it 2011 what's a bomber jacket it's like a jacket that like people like people in the military wear like uh, pilots it's okay. a very specific style of jacket and i remember thinking like i'm gonna get myself a bomber jacket because i mm -hmm. thought i was just no one had thought about <laughs> bomber jackets in forever and within days of me having this thought i started seeing them in like the popular la stores as like the new trend and I literally was like, did I have an original thought or was this like subliminally put in me yeah. somehow through something? Yeah. Because it happened with the bomber jacket thing in one year and then it happened, there was like a resurgence of Ray-Bans. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start bringing back these ray I, I had an old pair when I was like a little kid and I would, started wearing them. And then all of a sudden there's Ray-Bans everywhere again. And you're mm -hmm. like, I'd like to think that these were original yeah. choices that I was mm -hmm. making, but am I just a part of some bigger zeitgeist that it's i think if there's one thing that i could I would like to if i was an anthropologist is like how hard is it to actually think for yourself mm -hmm. how hard is it to truly be able to have like independent thought and maybe that is just an illusion and maybe what oh, it, I is, think it is it's just about the idea of of there's a bunch of ideas in the air. Yeah. And you, I think uh, Rick Rubin talks about this, that it's not about you coming up with this brilliant new idea. It's that there is this energy and you just need to be open enough to be the, the, the brain that right. that's the woo -woo way out. of putting it. Not woo. But... I think, I think it's, I think that, that I, I can, well, one, I there's mean, enough examples of that where it feels almost measurable. Yeah. 
Well, I what supposedly happens in science when someone, you know, like Newton or Oppenheimer supposedly make a big discovery or Correct. supposedly are the pioneers of something, what happens is that the scientific community makes it all the way. I mean, the basically the, the evidence is already overwhelming Correct. to make just put the pieces together and make that next step. Correct. Well, what's fascinating and, about that, because I, I remember seeing this thing about the... Uh, the, the what do they call these the super colliders where they're shoving uh, particles into each other they're like it's in uh -huh. cern switzerland it's oh, 32 yeah, yeah, yeah. miles long or whatever mm -hmm. and i was listening to a documentary watching a documentary where they're talking about the art form mm -hmm. at the top levels everyone's amazing in these fields uh -huh. but at the very very top levels he, mm -hmm. this guy goes on this rant about saying how it's artistic you mean what do you mean it like physics pushing physics? the the pushing what is new what is yeah. going to be the at next at that point you do need imagination yeah because he was saying everyone is brilliant yeah. but to get because it's a combination of things you have to you can't pick something that's too far ahead yeah you have to kind of recognize where you are uh -huh. and say like oh we're not we can't do uh you know, um, straight, like, what are they, when, when, on Star Trek's, when you walk in and then they zap you and then you end up on the planet, was, yeah. that, that was like a um, teleporter or teleporter, whatever. Yeah, That's device. probably not the next mm -hmm. thing to be solved, mm -hmm. but it's still an artistic choice to decide, well, what is... The next thing towards that. Yes. And mm -hmm. in that respect, the people who end up becoming the Einsteins or the, you know, the people that mm. are remembered, it's because they artistically chose something to go after. And then when it hit, it feels like, oh my God, that feels like, you know, an impossibility. Now, that being also said, once those things become uh, just the known world, mm -hmm. I was listening to another um, scientist who was saying, it's almost impossible to think about the world pre having had that information. Yeah. I personally am... But that's, again, I think it's just a difference in kind of personality and, and where we are. I think it's perfect, perfectly legitimate to, to say that there's something special about those people who make that first discovery. I personally think that it's, it's much more about just being positioned in the right, totally. you know, in the right, in the right place at the right time, basically. But, but that's this idea in comedy too. It's not about being new. It's about being next. You know, okay. Louis C.K., mm -hmm you know, was a comedian for a long time, but he didn't hit, hit. Mm -hmm. I remember the bit. I remember when mm -hmm. I started seeing his name at the comedy, uh, at the, um, at the laugh factory in Los yeah. Angeles, he had this bit about calling his kids an asshole because <laughs> they wouldn't tie their shoes. Uh -huh. He's like, no, you're, you're not, you're just, it, that was an adult. You know, he just had this mm -hmm. really, it was a great bit. Mm -hmm. But it's not new to talk about your kids being difficult Assholes. or personifying them as <laughs> mm. older than they are. Yeah. Like it, he was just next and he did it in a way that captured his time and place. Yeah. The right people liked him. The right, yeah. He got the right uh, opportunity. Yeah. He got. And, yeah. and, and he busted his ass to get there to put him, you know, to get yeah. lucky. And um, that's, you know, may we all be, because the more and more I you know, read Shakespeare or look at storytelling. So many people are using other stories yeah. and there'll be times like, man, I have to come up with something yeah. from the beginning, just the straight yeah. Genesis. And then you were telling me about this famous, is it Croatian movie? Yeah. This famous Croatian movie about this priest and mm -hmm. how he got brought to the I small forgot. island. I forgot what it's called actually. Well, but what's fascinating to me is it, it put a little bug in my head of like, could I take that story, mm -hmm. put it in upstairs, state minnesota and have this be this farcical yeah. comedy where it's about this you know you know what's interesting as a translate because i did a lot of script translation there's a whole kind of i don't know phenomenon of when a show is successful in a smaller country so there's this israeli show that i think was called shall we kiss in english mm -hmm. they'll take the premise and the characters they'll rename them mm -hmm. But they'll still take the, you know, and they'll mm -hmm. put them into a new cultural context. Mm -hmm. And so I translated, first I translated from really bad English into Czech, or I participated in translating this Israeli script mm -hmm. called Shall We Kiss. Then I translated from Czech into English for the English language or the English speaking producers, this new version of the same story by a, same, by a different group of writers who wrote it from the ground up, but used a premise that had already worked in a different country. And of course, in a world where, you know, it's hard to take risks or, you know, they don't want to take risks, that is another thing that 
that you know that producers do where they take something that was successful in a small country and they'll rebrand it and redo it totally. completely from ground yeah, up. Yeah, Euphoria which... is an Israeli show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's based off of an Israeli yeah. show and there's this great documentary called Exporting Raymond. Mm -hmm. where the producer of Everybody Loves Raymond was bringing it to Russia. Oh, interesting. And that's something people should take a look at, too, yeah. if they're interested in that. Because, look, I mean, there's how many, there's like 196 countries or something. Yeah. If you could have something be successful and then go and just yeah. stop. I mean, this is what Mr. Beast does with his videos. He has he starts putting them in different languages, and that's how his views go yeah. through the roof, is that he's multilingual. and. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's, well, the idea yeah. of originality being like a fundamental value in art is actually really recent. And it's not, it's not, yeah. you know, this idea, it, and it's not, it's certainly not universal to art. I was like, I was just reading this, this essay on, on art anthropology on my podcast. Origin, that that's something that's kind of projected by Western anthropologists onto a lot of, onto art as such, that originality is a basic thing to it. Even within the West... It was only recently that this idea of being new and original was even something big in art or even experimental like that. That comes in the 20th century. It's yeah. experimenting in yeah. art. I go to a lot. I mean, I'm in an experimental program now in France where everything's publicly funded. So it's like totally divorced from what anyone would necessarily want to see. That is not the that is not like a fundamental value to them. Even it just seems like. It, it's a very recent idea that experimentation would yeah. be, and and what I wanted to say is that it's not even experimental anymore what they're what's called experimental art today there's nothing really truly that experimental about it yeah well if in terms of like if we look at the people who are truly experimental like the Andy Kaufmans or the John Cages people, those were I mean they've already done everything that's well that's the, the argument in painting is that yeah. we've they've discovered so many things and well now what are the new frontiers it's like well, it's very hard. I mean, there eventually you you there is no three D worlds now, and how you put those together, like those yeah. are the, those are the new steps. But, wait, but it depends on technology now. Yeah, correct. And that is potentially the new that is the new wave of yeah. like when I write my novel mm -hmm. is is it going to be the next thing that catches because yeah. I created a YouTube series where I read the novel with like interesting artwork behind me. Sure. And that was the new delivery system to have something that was as successful as The Sun Also Rises was in the 20s. Yeah. Like, do you have to create the whole medium even upon yeah. which you're, you know, you know, you're delivering your message? But the success of Sun Also Rises, I think, was kind of within certain circles, basically. Well, but it was within the circles that held power within the publishing industry and, and otherwise. within the overall and arts overall arts community yeah. right the, the thing that uh, elizabeth gilbert who wrote um uh what's the one where she goes to southeast asia eat pray love oh god yeah she, she whatever you feel about that <laughs> her ted talk is incredible and she's talking about this very thing where back in greek mythology mm -hmm. they thought about the idea of ideas and where they come from much differently as if mm -hmm. it was a spirit in the corner whispering mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. into your ear. And she says one of the things that we need to be careful for these days is this idea of thinking that you're the genesis of the yeah. ideas as opposed to even just that external idea that there's someone else telling it to you yeah. and it's not your job to come up with it. And she takes it as far as because we put so much pressure on ourselves, it's what forces the Kurt Cobains of the world and the of people who are then they put so much pressure on themselves they end up you know on the worst case taking their own lives because yeah. and we need to kind of recognize that like there's a humility to saying like hey i'm a vessel mm -hmm. i'm not god i'm not you know i don't this idea of whatever a genius is mm -hmm. this obsession and being a little bit more humble to say like all right i'm gonna show up i have my paper in front of me and i have my pencil and i'm gonna let you know, whatever my life has happened, or I'm going to be inspired by it, mm -hmm. but it's not the pressure of me to have to be yeah. the, the, the genius of something mm -hmm. is one egotistical and two, potentially not even true. Yeah. If what we're well, saying I mean, is even true. From a, but even from a, like a, I guess a scientific perspective, we're nothing without our upbringing, without what we come into contact yeah. with. We're born with certain innate um, kind of, let's say, boxes in our brain that are already predisposed to absorbing culture. Yeah. But 
it's still an external it, I, stimulus. Yeah, Einstein couldn't have been Einstein without all without of the work that came before him. Without his education, without all yeah. the work that came before him, we are nothing on our own. And I guess that's the question. Like, Miles Davis didn't invent the trombone. but <laughs> Miles Davis was a trumpet player, though. Oh, I'm sorry, the trumpet. Uh, he didn't invent that instrument. Mm-hmm. But does that make him less of a, you know, like he then took that and, and he, took he it created to, this, yeah. you know, beautiful. Well, oftentimes, I mean, look, even <laughs> none of the, none of the ex- experimental pioneers in experimental art were totally cooking from nothing. They had the ingredients exactly. and there were other people that were doing, you know, weird stuff. I guess the, what I'm saying on a podcast where we're talking to people, artists on yeah. the verge. That is something that needs to be remembered. Mm-hmm. That Hamlet was written twenty times before Shakespeare mm-hmm. got to it. That the guitar was thoroughly invented before Jimi Hendrix ever mm-hmm. picked it up. And that it's okay. And the scales he used. Yeah, it's okay to recognize that. I mean, as comedians, I think we're obsessed with this hyper originality. Original. But a lot there's a lot of unoriginal comedians. Like when a lot totally. of times when I listen to comedy. I'm like, oh, that's that joke. Yes. I've heard it yes. in this guise, yes. but yes. it's that joke. Yeah. I think that there can be a joke theory, by the way. <laughs> I would be, it would, it's a whole other thing, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, I Maybe we can skip over this film stuff. Basically, he says film is doing badly because both DVD sales, which for a while were a big source of income for the film industry, and yeah. of course, ticket sales for films themselves yeah. are, have gone changing, down. Yeah. Obviously, so there's these big winners like Marvel is still really big, and they're well kind of because getting bigger, people bigger. they did a good job of recognizing what would be different in a live experience. Yeah, they wanted you know the big the, explosions, yeah. and they're also really, really, really smart about the storytelling. They're writing these deep, deep mythological, mm-hmm. mythological. Yeah, uh, just these is, evergreen stories yeah. that you know even you who weren't necessarily a big fan when i introduced mm-hmm. you to i just, it's not even that i'm not a big fan i just knew nothing about marvel and I then next thing you know you're crying at the end of guardians of the galaxy <laughs> 3 over rocket the <laughs> raccoon because you're like it reminds you of your own sensitivities yeah. and your own puppy and yeah. like all of the and i had to sleep with my dog that day <laughs> because i was so into animals <laughs> and then also slightly realized you might have Hulk, stay Hulk. <laughs> I have Hulk as part of my personality. Yeah, yeah. but that, that, of course, we all do. There's, <laughs> there's, you know, all these deep personality. These characters are so. There's something about them that's so sticky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's Joseph Campbell, hero with the thousand totally. faces. Totally. Yeah. Um, Jung, who talks totally. about archetypes. I mean, this is it's not nothing yeah. new, and you can. And they're smart enough to recognize if we're going to get butts in seats, we have to. Because yeah. it, it is the com, and they're also very funny. And that's another thing yeah. that they've added, which which I don't think superhero movies have the always DC had. The DC movies, like the Batman movies in the '90s, even the. I mean, pres- Batman. There's like not one. They're like in the like the Nolan. Well, I would argue the- that. Uh, the most successful is the, the the Dark Knight Rises, and it's the Joker. He's very funny. There's oh, right. funniness. At least there's in, that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's I don't you know, know if he's funny. It's macabre, but yeah, but he's it's, subversive. He's a Joker. He's literally a yeah, Joker character. Yeah. yeah. And that contrast really, I mean, I, I remember when um, Argo mm-hmm. won the. It was the year that they won. I don't necessarily think it's a. I don't know if it's a film mm-hmm. that should have won best film. Uh, if you were to go back and take the entire decade, I don't know if it's even in the top 10 of those winners, but what it did a really good job of is that it had a lot of tension and a lot of humor. And that's, mm-hmm. it's like the salty sweet. Yeah. I saw that in on Tarantino's Django as well, where it's yeah. like this very- Well, all of his movies actually have that, They right? just break it up with humor in this yeah. really nice way. And they tried to do that in Oppenheimer with the no, one character- No, they did not. With, when he was putting the- That's like the one, yeah, yeah he was my that's, favorite. <laughs> that's the attempt, but that you're, that's- Stuck out. But to me, what what stuck about uh, out about that movie was precisely how it seriously it took itself. It was like a mood drama. Yeah, and look, so... as a straight white male, it was. And now and I'm thinking, was, did you feel empowered by it? No, by as a straight white male, it just feels boring to see I his don't know. face in huge. Yeah, in IMAX. That's another. That's a story that a for bad, another podcast. Yeah, that was a bad choice. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we can skip that section. Let's just see what what is next because I think that he starts to throw a little bit of a. Like, okay, here's a, here are the problems. Those are the advantages compared to the, supposedly compared to the other industries, but here are the problems. 
This is not to say that everything is perfect in the film and television industry, even beyond the problems with the big screen. There's a lot more work, according to Elizabeth Banks, who produces and directs as well as acts. But it's a lot harder to make money on anything. There we go. For low-end workers, the people on the tail of those big productions, it's a lot harder to get by. And that's true for middle-class actors and writers, too. You talk about the that there's basically the middle class is disappearing. Yeah, well, but, Elizabeth Banks is highly, highly successful actress. Yeah, but she's being very aware of yeah, her privilege. You she, know? This is, again, I don't <laughs> think... I'm not, I, 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 a huge fan of hers. I think she's an amazing. Yeah. She directed Cocaine Bear for Christ's sake. Oh like, God, I, I mean, seen but the range yet. there is incredible. Yeah. She's the voice of the lead uh, female character in the Lego Movie. Oh. She's also, you know, like does these great cameos and things uh -huh. like Thirty Rock and. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm sure she's if I'm a success story and yes, yet she sees this. But she sees I, this. Yeah, Hollywood. she's. But hearing it from her, I, I don't think somebody that successful can really understand what it's like for somebody on the come up because as talented as I think she is, I know 20 women off the top of my mm -hmm. head who are at least as talented um, and don't, you know, didn't figure it out for whatever reason. I don't know her story, but, yeah. and uh, not to take anything away from her because I really do enjoy her work. Yeah. But I think once you get to a certain echelon and it's been a long enough time, you just, how it takes to get in now changes. The path, yeah. this idea of studying success is very smart, but when you get too specific yeah. or too focused, because what happens when someone gets successful, it's not like they can bring a lot of people on that. That path closes behind them and mm -hmm. you can study how other people do it. You can see how those paths are created, yeah. but then you have to really look at your time and place and say like, how do I create my specific thing with my background and my education mm -hmm. and my lot in life? And because then somebody else will study you and go, oh, no one can do, yeah. I, I can't make my way the way Richard Pryor, for instance, went because he was, his mother was a, a sex worker. He grew up in a whorehouse. Mm -hmm. There's so much different, like, the, yeah. like I can study that and go, all right, he took his whatever mm. pain or whatever he dealt with and he put that into it like that well, I can is use. it because i mean that's a very romantic idea that the pain of your life is is the source of your success it is. but that's i'm not sure that i agree with that I well john mulaney has some great bits about that about yeah. making fun of people like that it, that all comedians are sad and he's like no we just no. we're like humans everyone yeah. goes through some shit like yeah. we don't have to mythologize this idea that like com comedians are these he, he has a great I, great bit about yeah. that I mean, I just, yeah, I don't believe that the, and on the contrary, I truly think that even in creative endeavors, um, any kind of mental health issues uh, are pretty bad. Yeah, and they're romanticized. Pretty, and romanticized. Yeah. There is that mythos from, from well, the romantic the era. Well, this is Elizabeth Gil yeah. Gilbert. That's what she talks about in that TED Talk. I think mm -hmm. it's, I can't recommend that TED Talk enough. Um, still, for individual creators, especially ones who are looking for their foothold in the industry, the digital age offers several paths. One is the old one, move to L.A., find an entry-level job, maybe start starting with an internship in college, and hustle your way up the ladder. There are still very traditional ways to get into the business, I was told by Jane Espenson, the producer who has worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Gilmore Girls, Battlestar Galactica, and many other shows. You write a spec pilot, a clever new take on the cop show, and you submit it to the Disney Writing Fellowship. Get into the fellowship. <laughs> they introduce you to the showrunners and agents. Then one of those agents sends you to one of those showrunners, and you have a great meeting, and you're put in a writer's room, and you spend 20 years jumping from room to room, from show to show, rising up through the ranks until a network hands you your own show to run, which is pretty much the way she did it. But there, For you, the you record, can see that like, exact clearly. path. Mm -hmm. I have done every single one of the things in that uh -huh. path. Submitted all those, mm -hmm. wrote specs, wrote original pilots, mm -hmm. did all Got of those Got into a writer's room. Only because I also decided to go to UCLA and mm -hmm. met a showrunner there. Yeah. It was through networking. It wasn't, yeah. I mean, the fact that I won a contest helped the networking. Mm -hmm. But even that, I don't know anyone. I know hundreds and hundreds of people mm -hmm. that tried to do this, and I don't know anyone who did it like this. Yeah. I take that back. I have one friend that I met through UCLA. Mm -hmm. He won a contest. Uh, he won the Warners contest, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, but even he, this idea of like, oh, you'll just slow. He's been trying to get his original work uh, produced for years now. Yeah. And he's had to stay as a, what they call a staff writer. Yeah. Um, and I haven't talked to him for a while now, but it's this, this idea <laughs> of this just being some 
maybe, pipeline. Yeah, maybe, maybe when there were, you know, 2,000 people going for 1,000 jobs, yeah. that, that should be that something that you should tell people and be like, yeah. oh, this is a path. But now there are, and I say this without exaggeration, mm -hmm. 200,000 people mm -hmm. trying to get those 1,000 jobs. Yeah. That is, yeah. that is an, that's probably an underestimate. Yeah. Especially because of the fact of the global market mm -hmm. you, from anywhere you can submit scripts now. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's not even, oh, it's harder. I'm whinging about it being mm -hmm. difficult. It's just statistically impossible yeah, on some level. Yeah. And so this idea that like, oh, I worked harder. So that means I'm have some sort of, I, I'm more valuable because yeah. of that. And then the person who didn't get it, they must not have worked as hard. Yeah. That's where I'm like, no, the numbers are just so insane yeah. that it's impossible. Like if you're not going onto a stage at the, uh, at the Emmys and saying mm -hmm. luck, I would just like to thank pure luck. unadulterated luck. The reality to be successful these days, regardless of race or gender, any of that stuff there's so much out of our control yeah. that I think you have to, the only sane way to go through it is to let go, produce the stuff that you really, 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 really love. Mm -hmm. Try to be anyway. smart, work your buns off, mm -hmm. go do all the things, but then at some level, let go of what happens. Yeah. So, um, we're just burning through this. huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we got through, we skipped something. We got to page 2014 and technically this, this section that I wanted to read ends on page 2220. Of the hard copy edition. Of the hard copy edition of the death of the artist. I hope you enjoyed that conversation from the high, low art divide. Next time, I think you're in for a treat, because up until now, we focused more on Nick's world, but in the next episode, I'll take Nick into the high art world. Namely, we go see the world premiere of the opera Trillium X by Anthony Braxton at the Dock Center for Contemporary Art in Prague, and we talk about it afterwards. And Nick poses questions and makes observations, which I felt were really illuminating for someone inundated with the high art world, like I am. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, so as not to miss the next conversation. An opera singer and a comedian walk into a bar is a segment of the Artists on the Verge podcast written, recorded, and edited by me, Emma Katrovis. The music for this segment is the song Stars by Janice Ian, performed by me, though sadly not in a bar, but edited to sound like it. All information about the podcast, where to follow it, and how to support it is in the description. Here's to being on the Verge. <laughs>